We open to God's holy living word, established in heaven, to the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 6. Mark, chapter 10, verse 6. Hear now the word of the Lord, and again the Lord Jesus Christ speaking while on earth in our humanity. But from the beginning of the creation of God made them male and female. Actually, I should change the emphasis there to be more clear. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. We're going to be turning to Genesis Uh, You'll see in your bulletin the references. We're going to be turning to Genesis in a little while, so I want you to be ready for that. And we're going to go there as Jesus points us to go there, to go back to the beginning. This morning on Father's Day, we had a, a Father's Day message, and we saw that God reveals himself not as mother, but father, and how that is so foundational. Fatherhood is foundational, and we saw, we referenced at the end, didn't give a lot of attention to it, but that God does not reveal himself as mother. He does not reveal himself as female. He reveals himself as father, male, and that's significant. We might also note that Jesus Christ came and took on being a man, to be son to the father. But we focus on the father. God reveals himself as father, Fatherhood is foundational. And so it's important to know and maintain the difference of gender functions in marriage, family, church, and state. Now, we know God is a spirit, does not have a body like men, and yet he reveals himself as father, and there must be a reason for that. And so the gender distinctions are important. When we minimize the distinction, and as some Bibles even get rid of those distinctions as he and father, We deny an important aspect of of how God reveals himself, but it's even bigger than that because it it starts to uh, take away the distinction of men and women, father and mother. So during this June, during annual Pride Month, where the LGBTQ plus yada, yada, yada community wants to take over the month and frankly wants to take over our nation and our planet, I am reflecting and I am responding in Place for Truth's article series with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, my other employer. Dr. Jeff Stuyvesant made a call to contributing writers and said, I'll take as many as you have. We're going to respond to a recent article by Dr. Carl Truman calling for such posts in World Magazine. You might look up uh, Carl Truman. We've, we've noted it on our Facebook page if you haven't read it yet. He puts out something there that says, you have no idea what's coming if we don't start to speak up against Pride Month. Christians are too quiet, and you have no idea what's happening. Nothing else like this is such a movement happening. We've got to start verbally protesting and drawing attention to the problems more than we do. I wrote two articles so far for the Place for Truth series, considering making this sermon another one. Uh, They were both based on previous sermons. The first one is already up. You can read it. Um, Christians must protest Pride Month and its uh, violent origin, Sodomite origin, and the similarities related to um, the 
Stonewall Uprising. It's speaking against homosexuality, and it's pointing to the similarities of pride parades. Pride parades and their origin. Their origin is in the violent NYC New York City Stonewall Uprising in 1969, when the sodomites uh, were going over after the police trying to kill them. It's so similar in some ways to Lot and how they... Uh, all the sodomites tried to rape the angels in his home. Uh, I recognize some serious, scary connections there, similarities. And you might go back and hear the sermon on Genesis 19 when we were going through Genesis many years ago about that scripture, and I largely worked off that for the article. The second article is about to run, and that's based on the sermon from last year at about this time, lamenting that Mr., and I need to emphasize, Mr. Bruce Jenner is masquerading as a woman last year in the California gubernatorial race. And the sermon was based on Deuteronomy 22.5 that says that is an abomination to the Lord. This sermon tonight is also responding to Dr. Truman's call for Christians to get things out there protesting this Pride Month. But it's mainly wanting to share some insights uh, on the root of the problem, something I hadn't thought about before, and I think it's an incredible insight. I think it's wise and it's something for us to recognize. I think the broader church and much of the Reformed church really needs to take this seriously. It's almost like we're dealing with a symptom more than the problem. I don't want to pretend it's that simple, but consider this. I'm I'm going to share with you in quite detail a a section from Jay Montgomery Boyce's sermon uh, that I heard last week. Uh, uh, It's in his Genesis series, and he has a section on gender relations, maleness and femaleness. And I I quoted just a piece of that in the article, put the whole thing in a footnote. It just is amazing how much it's so profoundly right now, and I don't even know if they realize it. Uh, but then also, I didn't have a chance to finish, but there's another message on Genesis today about the help meet. And uh, again, it's just significant. It just, and this was many years ago. It feels like it's right now we need these sermons. There's something in the middle of a long quote that jumped out at me, and that's what I want to emphasize tonight, although I'm going to make you wait till the end for the nugget. It's going to be there in the long quote and uh, see if you can determine what it is. But first, imagine this. After all the animals were made and brought before Adam and he named them all, what if God drew out of his rib and created Steve? Or another Adam? Oh, he dressed him up in pigtails and lipstick and made some stringed coconuts around his upper torso and I suppose another one around his lower loins. Adam, I don't think, would be so excited as he was with Eve. In fact, instead of rather saying, ah, bone of my bone, he'd probably say, how's that going to work? And the human race could never have been fruitful and multiplied and subdued the earth if God had made man and man, or woman and woman. As if the sex distinctions do not matter. God made Adam and Eve. And while they were the same in some ways, they were also different in important designed sex distinctions so that they could uniquely fit together and function. Uh, 
as an amazing whole. You might remember I, I shared it with you during the Wednesday night message recently on divorce, marriage and divorce, and we talked a little bit about the help meet and what that means, and I'll review the Hebrew meaning of it tonight. I shared with you we just got some plastic dinosaur eggs that fit together. They're targets for the Nerf gun, dinosaur Nerf gun. And to fit them together, there's a male side and a female side. If there's both male sides, that thing is not going to happen. It's going to remain two pieces if it's two females, it's not going to happen. It's not going to stick together. You have to have the male pieces and the female pieces to fit together. To determine correct marital and thus gender relations, we must go back to the beginning and see God's determined design of mankind being male and female made to join in marriage and produce children. I give that to you as the main idea of our verse in its context to determine correct marital and thus gender relations in general. We must go back to the beginning and see God's determined design of mankind being male and female made to join in marriage and produce children. That's what Jesus says. He says this in answer to a question on marriage and divorce. And if we turn to Matthew 19, also remarriage. And he says, you're not, you're not thinking about this correctly. You're thinking about things after the fall and the effects of the fall in remarital relations. You got to go back to the beginning before the fall and see God's created design and purpose for marriage. And naturally that relates how he made it, male and female though that is not the specific concern in the text, it's logically related. Jesus points us to husband and wife and thus gender relations from the beginning before the fall, the way God made it to be. That has to be what you and I constantly bring people back to in the discussion. Regardless of what they think they believe or know about anything. It isn't that other things can't be pointed to as, you know, elementary. But uh, that's what we have to point to. God's design. And as I'll touch on, it's not just physical. Maleness and femaleness. Well, that would be, be the main thing we're looking at today. Although, of course, the identity issues come up regardless. He points us where we need to go for our understanding. The beginning. Before the fall. God's original design, which hasn't changed after the fall. There's still males and females. That's the way they come out. That's the way they're born. Though the fall tries to distort our gender design by God, it's still a sexual distortion. J. Montgomery Boyce, in this sermon, in a series on Genesis, this sermon is titled, Man, God's Regent. He first says this. It's a, it's a rather lengthy quote. See if you can, see if you can find the, the part I'm going to emphasize later. He says this. God created man, male and female, and he still is. 
We live in a day when this is denied in its effect as well, because just as men and women today try to deny responsibility on the basis of determinism, so is there an attempt in our time to deny the distinction between the sexes. Either the distinctions are denied and minimized, or else they're said to be meaningless because the whole process of evolution is meaningless. Many of the women's liberation spokespeople today are saying that this matter of maleness and femaleness is simply an accident, if you will, a joke of nature that needs to be overcome as quickly and as thoroughly as possible. Can a Christian take that position? Not at all. Because what we're told here in the early chapters of Genesis is that God created man both male and female. Therefore, because God does not do anything without meaning or anything bad, maleness and femaleness is both meaningful and good, just as everything else that God does is both meaningful and good. I want to ask you to turn with me to Genesis now. We won't need to turn back to Mark. We're familiar with the text, and it's very brief, and we understand what it's saying. It's telling us to do this, to go back to the beginning, before the fall, the way God created things. First Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now notice that God created man, but the idea is mankind or humankind. And then that's spoken of as male and female. So both man and woman are equally the image of God. They are equal in value and equally God's image. We're going to see there are distinctions, but we need to recognize that first of all. Now, turn ahead to chapter 2 with me, beginning uh, with verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, verses 21 to 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of her ribs, excuse me, one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now look with me to chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, and in the day when they were created. That's a summary of what we've looked at before. I want you to notice in chapter 1, verse 27, it speaks of help me. God's going to make a help meet for Adam. Now, we want to remember, as we saw in the Westminster Confession, Husband is to help wife, too. (laughs) There's a mutuality in help and service. But God gives man-woman to be a helper in him serving God. 
And we know there are distinctions of uh, the role of husband and wife in marriage. And those are not the things we're going to discuss tonight. It's not what we're focusing on this evening. But I do want to draw out the word helpmeet. I want to remind you that it has the idea of counterpart. Counterpart. Making the whole equal in value, necessary for the whole. Equally half, but a counterpart. Some differences to make it fit together. Okay? Not the same parts, so as be able to fit and work together as designed in a one flesh, baby-making whole. Although it's not just about babies, that's a significant aspect of the creation ordinance. But I want you to recognize it's not just that man and woman are different physically. Although if you allow me to pause for a moment, I was just thinking on the drive over, as Fernanda is pregnant, and we praise the Lord, more and more pregnant daily, feeling more and more pregnant, her womb is growing and changing. I keep saying, you're not going to be able to hide that. That's why we reveal it to you early. And you know, even as we go to Presbyterian General Assembly, people are going to be talking about it. It's just very obviously pregnant, you know. But then I just started to marvel in it again. You know, only woman can do this. Only God's, God only gave this ability, this physical ability to have a body change and hold and grow a baby, make a placenta, all the things going on that's making her sick, all these hormonal things. Only a woman can do this. And then we were talking about nursing again and the specialness of that and that special bond baby has with mother. And I guess I was just thinking again about only woman can do this. It can't be faked. It can't happen. It has to be a woman because only a woman's been designed to do it. It's just elementary, isn't it? It's just so obvious. Only a woman has eggs. Only a woman has all of those reproductive organs that man doesn't have. And only man has what's necessary to make the baby happen, of course. But I would recognize also that we're different. I don't think anyone disagrees or really doesn't recognize this. In terms of our emotional makeup, our, our souls. You know, 1 Peter 3, I think, in verse 7 gets into this. I don't think it's just physical, although I think that is related. Uh, But I think there's this aspect of men and women are different. In fact, I I heard a joke just the other, just last night. (laughs) It was a pretty funny Christian comedian. Olivia had sent it. They were watching with friends in Tennessee. And uh, I'll spare you the whole thing because I I, I won't remember it. But the the thing that jumped out to me as the funniest, although it wasn't the main part of the story, was, you know, it's interesting He's just joking, and I should be careful here. We don't want to. We want to be careful with how we speak about the word. But I think you'll understand. Uh, he said, "You know, the rib that was taken from man, that was probably the part of man that was needed to read minds." <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> but what does that recognize? And the reason I venture to share it: we're different. We're not just different physically. We're different the way we think. We're different the way we feel. And we're made that way. You know, mom has given her nesting ability and focus. Dad's given his visionary leader focus. There's just these things about the way we think and feel that are clearly male and female. Now, naturally, there are generalities, and uh, some men may have more sense of feelings and expression. Than I used to joke all the time, I feel like I'm more female than male, and I never meant anything crazy about that, but I, I tend to talk a lot more and emote a lot more, and most of my friends were, uh, I had plenty of male friends, but a lot of girlfriends, just 
friends who were girls because, frankly, they talk more, and I like to talk and emote. And, you know, a lot of men just, they don't tend to communicate as much, <laughs> you know. So, and there are some women who are not as communicative and more quiet and stoic, you know. These are generalities, but the generality is because these are, this is the reality. You know, there are d- degrees in the spectrum of these cases. But not only body, soul. Which is why you recognize when people are faking it, it's like, why are you speaking and maneuvering like what you're not? You're not fooling anybody. You're clearly acting. J. Montgomery Boyce, I I continue with this large quote I'm I'm breaking up to share with you, and I'm going to get to what I want to highlight in the end. Thanks for sticking here with me. He says this, as he's pointed out that uh, male and female are equally... Uh, mankind and God, he does say this, quote, there are distinctions. A man is not a woman, and a woman is not a man. One of the saddest things in the world is a man who tries to become a woman or act like a woman, or a woman who tries to become or act like a man. Someone will say, but which is superior? After all, this is the matter of the battle of the sexes. Which is superior? What is the Christian point of view? Let me put it like this, he says. A man is infinitely superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is infinitely superior to a man at being a woman. And when a man tries to become a woman, or a woman tries to become a man, what you have is a monstrosity, end quote. And beloved, that is when a man tries to be a woman physically, or a woman tries to be a man physically in the sexual act, or a man or woman tries to act like the opposite in the way they dress and present themselves in the way they act, a monstrosity. Before we continue, let me remind you that in the Old Testament, such were to be executed in God's community. Someone else has written elsewhere. Indeed, woman has a God-given way about her that is self-evident. Her gender's distinctions with myriad superior subtleties are of no little significance. Females are unmistakably and wonderfully not masculine. They exude more feeling in a manner that feels like more. They smell different. They sound different. They move differently. They look unique and look at things uniquely. Their ears and hearts have nuanced sensitivities that round out their coarser counterparts. They touch us both men and fellow women, with a distinctive instinct that is meaningfully softer and smoother. Only woman can be mother. Only female can be wife. Her nature is so naturally hers that both the Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible for wife are interchangeably woman and only discernible by context. One last part of this quote. It is abnormal for men as effeminate as many are today 
to actually be feminine. And frankly, impossible. What woman has inside her can only be cheaply imitated by a man to another man. She alone can shine as female from within. Only Hannah can cry and sing over motherhood. Only Abigail can slow down David and make him marvel at her delicate influence. J. Montgomery Boyce also encourages you as men and women to be who and what God made you. He says this. You see, your maleness, if you are a man, is God's gift to you of maleness. And if you are a female, that femaleness is God's gift to you if you're a female. God does that not because he's a God of whim, but because this is the way he has chosen and seen best to arrange the human family and the human constitution and human society as we know it. Before I continue, you know, Fernanda and I have been hoping for a girl. We have two boys. We now have, let me count, one, two, three, four boys and two girls. And we'd love to round it out with a girl at the end. And uh, here's the thing. We keep telling each other, God has already chosen if it's a boy or a girl. We've already got names for both. So I say, you know, I kind of hope it's twins, boy and girl fraternal, because we've got these great names. I want to use them both, <laughs> you know. But, um, uh, and we're expecting this will be our last, if God knows. But, um, you know, we're, we're hoping it would be a girl. But we've said, look, we're going to tr- really be careful not to prejudice ourselves as if to be disappointed. Because if it's a boy, it's a boy. And God chose that person to be a boy. And often when we've been wanting, uh, you know, the first two, I was hoping, oh, hope I'll get at least one boy, you know. It has to be Rachel. It has to be Olivia. Those persons God has already planned and ordained. And then Abraham and Isaac and Gabriel and Gideon are all boys. And they had to be them, who they are. I kind of wondered a little bit if Gideon might be a girl. But now that he's here, it's like, it has to be Gideon. It's who he is. It's Gideon. It's the person God has made and chosen to be. Beloved, whatever God is giving us now, he has chosen. We don't pray for it to be a boy or a girl. That would be foolish. God's already decided. We pray, Lord, health and strength. And we pray, help us just be ready to love whoever you've chosen this person to be. It's amazing. But that person will be what God has chosen, maleness or femaleness. And it's to be celebrated, whatever God has chosen it to be so. And that's what you should be doing about yourself as a male or a female. God wanted me to be a man. God wanted me to be a woman. And recognize the distinctions of what that is scripturally and logically. Even in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, from nature we know some of these things to be the way. It should look. What I want to highlight now that I've been kind of teasing you with, so to speak, from J. Montgomery Boyce. I've already quoted it, but I want to highlight something he says that was profound to me and why I'm sharing with you mainly, although using Carl Truman's call as as an opportunity to do so. 
He says this, sexual distinctions are said to be meaningless because the whole process of evolution is meaningless. Whoa, I really think he's on to something there. And I think we're all mostly missing it. We deny the theory of evolution. We recognize God's work of creation and six days rested on the seventh and all very good and all finished. But so much of the community and so much of the church does not. And think about that. Evolution's meaningless. And it's always changing. So why can't the sexes? Why can't we always be changing according to however we want to survive? And it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. It's a very wise acknowledgement of the root of the modern problem of the sexual identity crisis explosion. I mean, I know this is always a problem throughout all human time. And I know that the sources of this come from original sin and different things going involved. Nonetheless, why is it taking off? Why is it exploding? Why is it trying to take over everything? Well, so has the theory of evolution. Perhaps we're looking more at the symptom of a deeper-rooted problem. Society denies creation, and it insists on our origin in evolution, which is meaningless. There's no purpose to it. As do, sadly, too many churches, even Reformed. Many Reformed pastors spout the idea of the theory of evolution, which is anti-scriptural. And as Ken Ham with Answers in Genesis will make clear, it is foundational to everything else. It takes away from God's immediate design and production and puts survival of the fittest by our own methods in whatever we determine who we are and what we do now. If we simply are who and what we are by evolution, of course, this can continue to change. And it doesn't matter. It's not meaningful. At least, it's not meaningful in the grand scheme of things. only to me what I want. How I choose to evolve as my identity, including my sexuality. Even though it's absolutely insane when you think about what they're doing to themselves. And the absolute denial of reality. This is something to spend time thinking about. As if we can determine ourselves for ourselves to function as we see fit. But if we think we are the survival of the fittest for whatever we want... It's something to spend time thinking about related to this difficult issue of gender issues today. Identity, homosexuality, transvestism. You go down the list. You see, the theory of evolution is turning us into a monstrosity of gender manipulation and mutilation. And it will never work. And it is always to God, and it should always be to us, an abomination. But see, he's creator, and he gets to be God, and he gets to say, I didn't make it that way. From the beginning, it was not so. And then it makes abominable monsters of ourselves and our children and our society. We have a transvestite man who's had a sex change the day before 
President Trump was elected not long after he spoke to a group that he was part of. He had fathered two children, mind you, but he's now an elected official in our state. And one of the things that he does is influence the nation on education of transvestism for children in our schools. And if you see the man's picture, it's, it's ridiculous. He's not fooling anybody. Neither is Bruce Jenner. It's an absolute monstrosity and a joke. To deny God's design for maleness and femaleness is like trying to make two bolts fit together. It's impossible. Oh, you can beat down on that bolt, hammer it, and drill holes in it, but it still won't function properly. It won't hold. It will break and it'll look ridiculous. It needs a nut to be a nut to hold on to it, a bolt. It's the way it's designed. It's the way they're both designed. It's how it works. Now, you can try and weld rods into a nut, I suppose, but it's never a bolt. It can only be roughly forced into a nut, and no one would ever expect it to hold and to help. And two nuts can't accomplish anything together. They're too similar. It's just nuts, if you'll excuse me. You just need a nut to fit on a bolt, naturally as they were designed to function. And they work marvelously together in their differently designed and defined boltness and nutness. Both are equal in value. They are different in function. But for something greater than themselves, when they work together as they were prepared to be together. But humanity today tries to hammer and force and weld and drill what cannot be. Maleness alone can be maleness. Femaleness alone can be femaleness. And only male and female are created to fit together, body and soul, into wholeness of complementary marriage and family and church and state. When we keep denying this, The whole foundation and frame is shaking and it's going to fall down just like Rome. Let us recognize the dangerous modern catalyst of monstrous gender mimicking, manipulation, mutilation, and malfunction. The theory of evolution itself. And let our church never tire of standing against it as thankfully our denomination does, which hard to find in Reformed churches today. And we wonder why even in our churches we have the revoice in the PCA and we have homosexuality and pastors now saying I'm allowed to be identifying as a homosexual and we have all kinds of problems of identity and sex. We have children in the churches calling themselves girls and girls boys and changing their names. 
this is, this is all related to the fact of confusing where we come from and who made us and how he made us and designed us. And you can't change that. No matter how much you mutilate yourself, body or soul. Denial of sex distinctions is devolution. Denial of sex distinctions is de-evolution. But we know where it comes from. That's the message for you this evening. Let me remind you what Jesus says, and this is what we have done going back to Genesis. Mark 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And as Jay Montgomery Boyce says, still is, but as Jay Montgomery Boyce offers us, I think, an incredibly wise understanding of maybe something deeper behind it all. When we push evolution and we allow it in our churches, maleness and femaleness have no meaning. What we are and how we have developed is chance. And we've just evolved into these things for more primitive things and we can keep doing it. And if we choose to speed up the process however we like in our mind about our body and our identity of our soul. Who's to tell us not to? Including in the churches with pastors who deny creation in favor of the theory of evolution. Denial of sex distinctions is devolution. Let us pray for the Lord to protect us. May he use this witness in part. Let us pray. Lord God, please bless us in our maleness and our femaleness and in our identity as you chose to make us that we would celebrate and serve you as we've been designed. In family, in church, in state, representing Christ and his church. Lord, we ask that you protect our children especially For they are coming after them, and we are handing them over, especially in our public schools and in our public libraries. Help our boys to understand themselves as boys and to be men. Help our girls to understand themselves as girls and to be women and wives and husbands according to your creation design so that you will help us and save us from ourselves. Let us recognize this culprit, this tool, being used as a demolition of such distinctions. Taking us away from recognizing you as creator, creating the way you said you did, creating us as you said you made us, so that we would function properly in, in our lives and not be confused and not hurt ourselves, body and soul, and destroy our relations and ruin our society and eventually be allowed to face the penalty of Sodom and Gomorrah and Rome. The United States of America is not exempt from your judgment. 
And we have called what you call evil good, and we have made it legal. And we are punishing those who stand against it. Have mercy and use indeed this witness of protest against Pride Month before there is a fall that no one will recover from. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all your people said, Amen.